0: If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's the word of God.
1: Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to NCF. Hope you had a wonderful week. And if not, that's okay, too, because we're all here to gather together by the summoning of God's spirit to have him speak to us and to minister to us. If you're here today investigating the Christian faith at the invitation of a friend or co-worker, welcome again. And we hope and pray that what you are searching for will be found here that you will come to find to know the truth and the hope that we Christians have in Jesus Christ. So without further ado, would you now bow your heads with me as we ask for the Lord to bless today's message. Father, we ask that you would speak to us. Though we deserve nothing but silence from you, though we deserve nothing but a face that has been turned away from us, Lord, we know that through Jesus, the brightness of your face shines upon our hearts, and we know that you speak. And Father, we ask that you would speak to us, for we desperately need your word words of comfort words of convictions words of counsel and so god would you now speak to your people for we are so lost without them and would you give us the comfort that no other words in fact no other thing could ever provide we ask now that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it for we ask all these things in jesus name and all god's people together said amen amen you know if i had to describe how most people in our city view life i would say it's either one of two metaphors the first metaphor would be this one a mouse in a maze chasing after cheese many people in our city today see life right like this where they are the mouse the maize is life, and the cheese, well, the cheese is anything that they are searching after for what they think would give them significance. And here's the thing about this thing about cheese, or at least in this metaphor. For some people, they know exactly what cheese they want, right? Whether it's a specific job or reaching a specific goal, like retiring by the time you're 45, or meeting that specific person that you feel is going to make you feel happily ever after. And then, of course, there are other people in this city who don't know what their cheese is, and yet they know it's out there and they want it. It would be, as I imagine, a mouse for the first time smelling this unknown scent of cheddar cheese, and even though it is unfamiliar, nevertheless, there's something instinctual about this fragrance that they hunger after it. So it is with so many of us. Many of us long for something, yet we can't figure it out, and as we try to figure it out, we go on the search But regardless of what your stance is with regard to whatever cheese you're hunting after, many of you, many people see life as a maze, full of twists and turns represented through uh, certain decisions and events in life that we make. Now, it goes without saying, but just in case you're not aware, there's a danger of seeing life this way, is it not? The danger could be is that you could be so terrified of taking the wrong turn in life, making egregious mistake by going on a path that requires so much time, so now you realize you've hit a dead end, it's too late to turn back, and now you feel you've forfeited this cheese that you've been chasing after, thereby not fulfilling the very thing that you feel called to fulfill, not becoming the person that you felt destined to becoming. It's pretty grim. And yet, again, it's how so many people see their life. Now, chances are, if you don't see life this way, then you probably see it in another metaphor, which leads me to this other picture. A hamster, right? Is that a hamster or a gerbil? I can't figure it out. I think it's a hamster, right? Whatever. It's a rodent. Right? On a wheel in an invisible glass cage. So many people today see life As like a glass cage where on the outside they see all these people going in and out as they please, enjoying so much freedom, moving on to whatever thing that they're moving on to. Meanwhile, they feel like they have this invisible barrier that's keeping them from being able to experience life that they want to experiencing that's holding them back to where they can't move on. And in frustration, they keep themselves very busy, right? Just running, 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 kind of like a hamster running on this wheel. Giving the illusion that they're not wasting their life, but in reality, they're just like this poor rodent. Thinking they're going somewhere when in fact, they're going nowhere at all, right? Maybe it could be a career that you've been in and you feel like it's going nowhere. Meanwhile, all your friends, all your peers are moving on to their next job, to their next promotion, to their next office with better pay, better hours, better status. Or it could be that you're that proverbial single person and your circle of friends is dwindling down more and more with each passing year because they're all marrying off. Meanwhile, you're still that same person that you were 10 years ago. No prospects, no dating, no significant other. Whatever the case may be, so many of us can feel like this gerbil where we're just spinning our wheels going nowhere Fast Now, you combine these two metaphors that I just gave you, and I think it perfectly captures a feeling that so many of us, that so many in this city chronically feel, and that is the feeling of being a nobody going nowhere. One of the things that I think is so pervasive in our society today, is that we're chronically haunted with this feeling that we are a nobody going nowhere. And the question that I want to ask this morning is, what do you do as a follower of Jesus when you go through this feeling? Because one thing that should be obvious to you by now is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will experience this feeling at one point or another. How do I know? Well, let me explain. But first, we're continuing our sermon series entitled, feel so wrong and it must be right and the whole point of this series was to highlight some chronic feelings that most christians all christians should feel as indications of genuine faith and of course these are feelings that are not very positive these are not encouraging feelings these are not comfortable feelings and yet scripture would say that when you feel it it is evidence that you have some real substance to your faith We started off this series talking about the chronic feeling of homesickness, that one of the ways that you know that you have genuine faith is that you're always longing for home because no matter where you go on this earth, you'll never feel like you're really home because this isn't your home. Then we moved on talking about this inner struggle, this inner turmoil that all throughout our Christian life, we will always feel like we have some sort of war within us where we're always yearning to sin and yearning not to sin and how we need to maintain this inner turmoil. Otherwise, we risk of endorsing sin and celebrating it as something that is crucial to our identity. And then last week, we talked about the feeling of insignificance, how God calls us to live a life of insignificance according to the world standards, because if you don't, you end up risking of being humiliated just like those who deny God will eventually be humiliated in their death. Right? Which leads us to the feeling of today. This feeling of being a nobody going nowhere, which if you think about it, is accumulation of all these other three feelings that I just mentioned. One of the consequential feelings that you will experience when you're chronically feeling homesick, when you always have inner turmoil, and when you always struggle with a sense of insignificance is that it will lead you into feeling like you are a nobody going nowhere. And so the question, again, is to ask... As Christians, how do we keep our faith intact when it is attacked by this sense of feeling of being a nobody going nowhere? Well, the answer to that will be found in Psalm 139, where the author, David, will help us understand how we are to respond in a two-step process that we need to do so that we don't get overwhelmed by this sense of being a nobody going nowhere. So with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you from today's text. Number one. Remember your true role. Number two, remember your true journey. And finally, remember how to find your role and your journey. Okay? Remember your true role, your true journey, and how to find those things. Let's jump right in. First, remember your true role. In his play, As You Like It, William Shakespeare once said this, quote, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and entrances, and one man in his time plays many Parts. Now, what makes this statement so profound is the fact that it's a perfect description of how many of us view life, is it not? How many of us in here don't see life this way? We all do. We see life as this great drama where we take on a key role or a key character in life. And in many cases, we have many characters that we live out throughout our life. I know I am right now. I'm the character of pastor, husband, father, 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 and father again. <laughs> right i'm also a son i'm also a friend we all play multiple roles in life and here's the thing about the roles that we take on in life the characters that we have we need people around us right in order to support and validate these very roles i mean case in point i have the role of a father right if i got rid of kara i'm less of a father but i'm still a father if i got rid of judah i'm i'm less of a father but i'm you see the point we need people in our lives to confirm and to validate and support that we are who we are that the roles that we have are truly us if you have a single woman who says i'm a wife but she has no man she has no husband that is a deluded woman right the only way a woman can be wife she needs the husband to support and validate such things okay Now, if you think about it, seeing life as a drama or play can help us understand and really explain why so many of us feel like nobodies. How so? Because what is a nobody? A nobody with this kind of framework in mind is really a person who has no significant part to play in the drama of life. Again, a person who is a nobody is someone who has no significant part to play in the drama of life. At best, They're kind of like those nameless characters, those background characters that we see in movies that have no name, have no character development. They're in one scene and they're gone in the next, but yet we don't even notice because the honest never pays attention to them, right? And when people find themselves feeling like they have no significant role in life, no key character to live out, what happens? They feel despair. They fear hopelessness, right? Right? And they're chronically struggling. I mean, we see this in real-life events in our own history. Case in point, you know, when the Nazis did their atrocious things to the Jews, like putting them in the concentration camps, you know what they did? They not only tattooed an arbitrary random name to replace their own personal names, but they also made sure that they separated them from their loved ones, their friends, their family. Why? Because by doing them, they rip apart their roles, right? Because they no longer have people in their lives to validate and support these characters that they've taken on, right? A father, a son, a husband, a friend. And as a result, the Nazis succeeded in causing so much despair, so much heartache, and so much hopelessness. And it's that same fear of hopelessness and despair that causes so many people, so many of us to work so hard of trying to land those key roles in the drama of life. Kind of like the way those struggling actors and actresses in the city are trying to land those crucial roles on Broadway or off Broadway. They're trying to make it. They're trying to be somebody because they feel like a nobody. So also with us. We are trying so hard, we're struggling so hard to make it, to, to take on, to land the roles of life, whether it be the role of a wife, the role of CEO, the role of a homeowner, what have you. Now here's what's so interesting about all of this. When you take a look at our passage, Psalm 139, you see David, again, the writer of this psalm, how he describes life just like what I am saying. He describes life as a drama. Just by a casual surface reading of this text, you can easily see the vital components of what makes a great drama. You see poetic dialogue. You see theme development. You see villains. And as a result, you see conflict. And of course, you see resolution. You see a happy ending. And when you read again, verses 1 to 6, you come to discover that David is identifying for us a vital, important role that we all must recognize. Read again with me what he says. "O oh Lord. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful me, wonderful for me. It is high; I cannot attain it. What is David saying? David saying that the most vital role that you could land in the drama of life the only role that really matters the only character that you should be living out is the role of being god's beloved god's beloved how do i get that well consider how he calls god what does he call god does he say oh god no he says oh lord right He says, oh, Lord. Now, in the English, it doesn't seem very significant. Okay, he calls God Lord. We do that all the time. What's so special? But if you knew the original Hebrew of this very name that David calls him, you would recognize that this is God's covenant name. It is a name that God only gives people to know of when they have deep, intimate, personal relationships with him. Right? People have certain names about them that they only reserve for other people to call them when they have that tight relationship, right? Hey, my name is Jeff. You can call me Jack. I don't know. <laughs> it's just so random. But yet it's that nickname that says, by allowing you to call me this, you and I, we're tight, right? You and I, we have something in common that I don't have with anyone else. And that is the same with the covenant name of God, the God. Who calls himself Yahweh, right? This is the name that David refers to the Lord. And by calling him this, he's not simply saying that he and God are tight, but he's also identifying for us this identity, excuse me, this role, this character that is the most vital role and character that you could ever play as a human being in life. And that is the role of being God's beloved. God's beloved. In fact, this is validated when you look at the Hebrew, verse 1, when David says to him, God, you know me. You know, again, in the Hebrew, that word for know is the Hebrew word "yada," "yada," And that's a very, very intimate word. It's a word that is only exclusively used for people who are in exclusive, intimate, I mean, really intimate relationships. Case in point, in Genesis, when it says that Adam knew Eve, And by through that, knowing she conceived a son, Cain, that's the word right there. Adam, Yada, Eve. And David is using that same intimate word to convey this idea that God, you, Yada, me. You know me. You see, it's David's deep, intimate, and personal relationship with God that defines who David is as a person see for david the reason why he knows he's not a nobody is because the ultimate somebody god the lord knows him look at the detail of knowledge that god has of him david says of god you god perceive my thoughts from afar before a word is on my tongue and you know it completely have you ever had a relationship with somebody where they just know you so well that they can even anticipate what you're about to say in a given situation Right? Or they can just see a look on your face and no one else picks up on, but they see and they're like, oh, you're angry. I'm not angry. Yes, you're angry. Sarah says that to me a lot, you know? Like, are you angry? No. Yes, you are. I'm not angry? Yes, you are. Right? Have you ever had that kind of relationship where it's almost as if that person can read your mind, right? As if they can hear that inner dialogue that's going on in your head just by their because of the fact that they know you so well well david is saying that is who god is and then some because david goes on to say that god not only just knows you as well as your closest loved one knows you, he actually knows you better than your closest loved ones in fact he goes even further he knows you better than you even know yourself okay he knows you better than he than you know yourself and the implication of all this is so profound Because what is David trying to convey to us by saying all this about God and who God is in David's life and in the life of those who follow God? Is he not saying that we are not that nameless character in the movie that no one pays attention to or no one cares about? Because we have an audience that cares about us so deeply, who is devoted to us so profoundly... that he knows every nook and cranny there is to know about you if i could put it in our modern parlance at the risk of sounding somewhat blasphemous what david is essentially saying here is that god is your most devoted fan right a devoted fan who knows everything about anything about you right god knows you so well And he's so interested in you. He's so fascinated by you that he knows everything there is to know about you. Even about the things that none of you even care to know about yourself. Case in point, how many of you in here know how many strands of hair that you have on your head right now? Has anyone counted? Do you know the exact number, right? I should be counting because I'm kind of losing some back here. But I don't even know. Do you? None of us. But you know who does? Luke chapter 12. Starting in verse 6. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. God is such a fan of yours that he even cares about the very things that you don't even care to know about yourself. He finds important that you think about yourself as trivial and as irrelevant. Do you know what that tells us? It tells us the first step that we need to take whenever we are confronted with the feeling of being a nobody going nowhere. We need to be confronted with the fact that the ultimate somebody, God, he knows you. He knows you deeply. And he doesn't know you in an offensive way, which we'll see in just a moment, but he loves you with such devotion where he is truly a great fan, the greatest fan for you. But here's the thing. That's only the first step, because David is going to tell us there's another step that we need to take in order to overcome this feeling of being a nobody going nowhere. And to explain, let me go to my next point. Remember your true journey. Listen again to what David says, starting from verse 7 down to 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you. (laughs) You know, if you didn't know any better and you read this, you couldn't help but to think that David is trying to run away from God, right? Almost as if instead of seeing God as a devoted fan, he sees God as kind of like that crazy, psycho-obsessed fan, who was just stalking David, and he's just trying to run away, trying to run to the ocean, trying to run to the mountains, and you're there, you're everywhere. Kind Kind of a creepy thing if you look at it that way. But of course, that makes no sense, because as we just stated in the first point, God delights in David, and David welcomes, and he yearns for God's presence to be that ingrained in his life. And so the question is, what exactly is David trying to get at? The answer is found in verse 10. He writes, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If you consider the different directions that David is conveying of where he goes, you'll notice that they're extremes, vertical extremes and horizontal extremes. He's talking about the highest heavens, the lowest depths, the farthest east, the farthest west, right? And by saying all this, he's trying to teach us something so profound. And that is this. No matter where you go on this earth, no matter where you end up leading your life on or wandering off to, God is going to be with you. God is always going to be with you to where no matter how much you mess up your life, no matter what wrong path you take, no matter what twist or detour you go on to, you never have to worry about the fact that you are going to lose God. That's what David is saying. He's saying no matter how much you think you've screwed up your life, no matter how much you think you have fallen so far from him, thankfully, according to David, you can never escape God's loving, guiding presence. Even in the moments where it just seems so dark and you don't know where you're going, and therefore you cannot measure out whether you're making progress or not, God says he is with you even in the darkest moments. Because after all, he just says, even the darkness is as bright as day for God. What is he saying? No matter how much you feel you have lost yourself, God is always with you. And because he's always with you, you can be hopeful that he will guide you back. He will always lead you back because he is with you. You know, one of the most scary stories, one of the most scary stories that we tell our kids these days is the children's story of the Flying Dutchman. The story of the flying Dutchman is a story of a sea captain who was cursed by the devil to wander the seas all throughout eternity, unable to ever get back home, even though the sea captain is desperately trying to get back. He is cursed to wander the seas forever and ever, right? And in many ways, I think the fear of the Dutchman is the fear that we all have when we feel like we're going nowhere in life, right? We all move, to new places, try to meet new people, go to a new job, move to a new part of the city, right? move on to the next relationship in the hopes that as we go go through this change of venue, we can finally say, finally, I've arrived. Finally, I'm at peace. I can finally dock because I'm finally home. Only to yet be confronted with the sad reality that you haven't made it there yet. And so like the Dutchman, you feel like you're cursed to wander, to keep seeking, never to arrive. But here in these verses, David says that if you know God, and more importantly, if God knows you, if he yadas you, that can never be true of you. It can never be true of you at all because of the fact that God is with you. This is so profound and it's so important that you guys understand this, okay? David is trying to teach us something that is so foreign to our normal way of thinking because he is saying this, the way that you know that you're on the right journey of life is not because you're going in the right direction, not because you're headed towards the right place or towards the right person on earth. No, the way that you know you're on the right journey is because in this journey, God is with you. Again, the way you know you're on the right journey of life is not because you're going towards the right place, the right location, the right job, the right person, but because the right God is with you. That's what he's saying. Listen to what Oz Guinness, a theologian, says about all this. He calls he says, Quote, We are not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. That someone is the Lord God Almighty. He is our destination as well as our journey. Practically, what does this mean? It means, so what? You don't have the job of your dreams, but your friends do, right? But if God is with you in that mediocre job going nowhere, you're on the right journey. But conversely, let's say you do land the job of your dreams, right? But yet God is not with you. God would say, you're on the wrong journey of life. Let's say you don't meet that person who you thought was the love of your life and they marry somebody else. But if God is with you, God says you're headed in the right direction. But conversely, if you marry that person who is the person of your dreams, but God is not with you. Scripture would say you're going on the wrong direction. You're going the wrong journey of life. The true journey of life, the right journey of life is not to a specific place, person, or thing, or achievement. It's to the living God. But until you grasp that, until you understand that, you're never going to have the sense of contentment and you're chronically going to feel like you're going nowhere. Listen to what it says here in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy... And last, and certainly not least, to walk humbly with your God. What makes the quest of life so joyful and beautiful and meaningful in a broken and dark world is that you're walking with the Lord, even if it's a journey that can be lonely, unfulfilling, and even dissatisfying. That's what David is trying to teach. Those are the two steps. When you feel like you are nobody going nowhere, first step. You remember, the ultimate somebody knows you. Hence, you're not a nobody. Step two, you remember that the true journey is found with God rather than without God to another place, to another thing, or achieving a certain status. Those are the two things you have to remember. But let's be honest. The problem here is not that we don't remember these things. What's the real problem? You know what the real problem is? The real problem is we don't believe this. I know all of you know this. You guys know this, right? You read your Bibles, you sit through sermons, you've done Bible studies, you have your podcast that you listen to. You know that what I just said to you is something that is already familiar, but the problem is you don't believe it. So the problem is not remembrance, the problem is faith. And so the question is, how do we overcome this hurdle? How do we overcome this disbelief so that we can truly embrace and remembering what we know is true? And this leads me to my final point. Remember how to find your true role and your true journey. Starting from verse 19, David starts crying out against people who are, he calls his adversaries or what he calls bloodthirsty men, people who shed blood. And he goes on the next two verses talking about how these men are violent, curse-ridden people who sin against God and who hurt God's people. And he wants God to smite them, right? He wants God to destroy them in all of his vengeful fury. What is David doing here? David is identifying for us, the reader, who the true nobodies are, who are really going nowhere. They're the people who curse God, people who are bloodthirsty, people who are against God, want nothing to do with God, and even use God as a means to curse people, rather than what God is supposed to be a source of, a blessing to others, right? Now, for those of you who know your Bibles and you know particularly the story of david you might be tempted to think that david is really being hypocritical here right because after all if you know the story of david you know that david is not some pure white choir boy as if he has no blood on his hands no david was a violent man scripture calls him a man of blood which is why he was not permitted to build the temple of god his son had to do it for him solomon right and not only was he a shedder of blood he was a shedder of innocent blood You guys know the story of Bathsheba and his lieutenant Uriah, the man's wife, Bathsheba. He took as his own, slept with her, and to cover up his sin, he murdered his most devoted lieutenants, right? David has the audacity to call out people who in many ways are no different to him. And not only does he seem hypocritical, but he seems pretty dumb why because of what he says in verse 23 search me O god and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts uh david why are you inviting the god of the universe to know what's inside of you because don't you know once he does he's gonna see all that wickedness that you are the adulterer the cold-blooded killer the selfish perverted man who tries to rule for your own glory rather than for the glory what are you doing how how can you be this way is david being hypocritical is he being foolish? No, he's not. How do I know? Because of what he says in verse 24. right? See if there are any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That word grievous in Hebrew actually says, see if there is any sorrowful way in me. So what is David actually asking God when he says this statement? See in my heart and see if you can find anything sorrowful. Whose sorrow? David's sorrow? No. God's sorrow, right? What is David doing? Do you know? When you're asking God to look at your sin, to acknowledge your sin, what is that? It's called repentance, right? Confession. When we come together and we do the confession of sin, what are we doing? We're saying, God, search me. Not because I'm trying to hide, because I want you to see. I want you to see everything that is offensive to you. I want you to see everything that is sorrowful for you to see upon me. I want you to look at it. Now, the only reason why David or why you and I would do that is not because we have, you know, Boldness, and we're audacious and we're just fearless and we just want to dare God, right? Do you know why we do that? Because David knows something that we need to be reminded of, which is what? His God and your God is a merciful God. And that when we are called by him to confess, this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to open up ourselves up and say, Lord, look at the things that are sorrowful to you. Not because we're trying to break God's heart. We already broke it. But in that understanding that we've broken God's heart, we he wants us to see his response. He wants us to see that he's the one who's going to come to us. You see how it says, lead me in the way of everlasting? You know what that means? In order to lead someone, you first have to get to where they are in order to lead them, right? David, by acknowledging his sin... By essentially saying, I'm a bloodthirsty man. What is he saying? I cannot come to you, God. You have to come to me. And if I am a bloodthirsty man like those men are that I condemn, that means I'm a nobody too. I'm going nowhere in life as well. Which means if you want to come to me and lead me out of this, you have to become nobody. You have to go nowhere in order to get to me and lead me out of this. David is recognizing the gospel. You know what the gospel is? The gospel says the ultimate somebody, God, the son, became a nobody so that as a nobody, he can go nowhere. He can go to a path of darkness where truly for him, his father would forsake him, where his God would not be with him. A path because of Jesus' substitutionary work, you will never have to go on. You see? The gospel teaches us that God became Jesus Christ so that his eternal role, his eternal character as God's beloved, would be given to you. And in exchange, he would take on the role that you have put on yourself of being a nobody because we are all broken, wicked sinners. But instead of you going nowhere, he went nowhere. He went to the path of Calvary. And we're on the cross. What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not with me anymore? Why are you not walking with me? Like Micah says. See, it's through the gospel that you come to understand how we can truly be somebody, even though without God, we are all nobodies, going nowhere. But in Jesus, we truly are somebody, and we are going somewhere because we are with God. When you understand that, see, when you really grasp that in your heart, then you come to believe what you normally don't want to believe. You remember your true role. You remember your true journey. But here's my question. Is that the gospel for you? What is your hope and salvation when it comes to how you overcome this sense of feeling like a nobody going nowhere? Because let's be honest. When we feel like a nobody... We do anything that we can apart from God to feel like we are somebody. Whether it's through our achievements, whether it's through our relationships, whether it's through our possessions. And when we feel like we're going nowhere, we do all that we can to show that we are headed somewhere in life. Right? Apart from God. Can I challenge all of us? Can I challenge myself? Can we challenge each other? That the true way in which you overcome this feeling of being a nobody going nowhere... It's not by having a better marriage. It's not by having a better job. Not by making more income. Not by owning a home in a nice neighborhood. Not by having the right connections. But could it be that the way that you become somebody going somewhere is by simply believing what is already true for you? That in Jesus, you are not a nobody going nowhere. You are somebody. You are God's beloved. And you're truly going somewhere. You're with God. Like him. at this time I want to end my message with a couple of next steps practical ways in which we can apply today's message if you're here today and you're not a Christian I want you to um, <clears throat> consider that if today's message resonated with you that this could be a real opportunity for you to begin a new journey of life where instead of fighting against this futile attempt of trying to be somebody going somewhere you can finally let it go and receive what God has prepared for you in Jesus, that you could be somebody who is going places. Number two, memorize Isaiah 53, verses 2 to 3, where it says this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Memorize this passage where Isaiah is telling us about what Jesus did for you to become somebody. Because I believe that the more you memorize this beautiful truth, and the more you meditate on it, it will keep your heart from falling into the deception that you're a nobody going nowhere, even though you're a Christian. When you remember what the ultimate somebody became for you, the ultimate nobody that Isaiah chronicles here for us, it protects your mind from going in a direction that it should not go and should never go again, right? Memorize Isaiah 53 as a way to keep you grounded and rooted in the hope of the gospel. Number three, write out different ways God has blessed you as a Christian and reflect on it when you feel like a nobody going nowhere. You know, one of the practices that Sarah and I have started doing is every night as we pray for each other, we share one thing about what we're thankful for for that day. So nothing generic, like, oh, I'm thankful for my family because my family's always with me, right? I can't get away from them. So, One thing that is new today that wasn't true yesterday. Why? Because the more you cultivate a thankful heart, the more you realize that God actually is paying attention to your life. And actually he cares about you a lot. Evidenced by the fact that you have something to be thankful for. Get into the habit of being thankful to God. Exercise those thankful muscles because it's there if you're willing to look for it. Finally, share this with a fellow Oikos group member so that you can help them create their own list and maybe hold each other accountable in that way. Cultivating a thankful heart is actually the most practical way in which you can be aware of God's active presence in your life. Here's my question. Do you find more days that you're thankful or do you find more days where you're annoyed and you're thinking, wow, if only I had this. This could be the step of how you can start living out a more fruitful, thankful life to where you no longer feel like a nobody going nowhere. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to remember the truth of today's message. Father, we know that it's so easy for us, especially in this city and in this media-driven Twitter, Facebook world, that we can easily fall into the trap of thinking that we're nobodies going nowhere, especially in this age of comparison and competition. God, we ask, that we would remember <clears throat> that only in Jesus that we are truly somebody, that only in Jesus that we know that we are not going nowhere. But Father, you have secured through your Son the ultimate place where we belong, the ultimate place where we find our hope and our identity and we live out the destiny that we have embedded in our hearts, evidenced by the things that we yearn for. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would truly live out this call, that whenever we feel surrounded by Uh, by situations and circumstances and people that can tempt us to think we're nobodies, going nowhere, that instead of looking to them, we would look to Jesus, our beloved Jesus. And as we look to him, we would know that that is far from the truth. Help us to remember you truly are our greatest fan, even when we were not yours. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.